When did you make your first investment in Amazon? 95. Did you ever imagine they would become what they've become? I never imagined. I mean, Jeff was obviously a very smart person. He had a really well-defined plan. I was in love with the internet. I was willing to risk $50,000. I don't think Jeff imagined either. His business plan was we were gonna break even in year two. Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We are coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in tech, science, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest stories in the news. John, this past week, we reported on the passing of really a, a legend in the Seattle tech community. Tom Allberg died at the age of 82 years old. And what's remarkable about Tom, from my perspective, is the fact that he was not a household name nationally, despite the fact that he really shaped entire industries. If you look at his early roles in e-commerce and wireless technologies through Amazon and his initial investment and his belief in Jeff Bezos, and also his early role with Macaw Cellular, which was the forerunner of AT&T Wireless. Tom was the co-founder and one of the leaders of Madrona Venture Group, which is the largest venture capital firm based in Seattle. Coming up, we're going to play a clip from one of our past interviews with Tom. But before we do that, John, I just want to get your thoughts on his significance in the Seattle tech community and in the broader world. Yeah, it's really interesting, Todd, hearing you talk about maybe how he wasn't as well known on the national stage. Uh, certainly in Seattle, he was very, very well regarded and, and well known. And in the venture capital ranks, I think Tom was was extremely well respected. But he wasn't a, you know, a household name like you hear about like, uh, Mark Andreessen or John Doerr or, uh, you know, Bill Gurley or some of these pretty well-known venture capitalists. And I, I guess I part of that is probably Tom's personality. He was very understated. He was very humble. Uh, he always put community and entrepreneurs first. And maybe it goes back to even some of his Scandinavian roots. You know, he was born in uh, Ballard, the old Scandinavian neighborhood of of Seattle, and you know the rub on on Seattle has always been that it's the reason we have the Seattle freeze, and not to suggest that Tom had that because he was a very warm, engaging personality. But the rub is that it traces its roots back to the Scandinavians who were a bit more reticent. Um, and you know, Tom was a community leader. I mean, that's the thing that stands out. He put community above everything. And I think about his passing and I think about kind of a, a a loss to the Seattle community, not just the entrepreneurship and business community, which we talk about and write a lot about, but really he's kind of one of the most important figures in Seattle's history um, in terms of his impact that he's had here. And just a solid guy, you know, like, and a friendly person. And as much success as he had had in his life, it it never went to his head. And he was just so down to earth when you would talk to him and what, what he, and how he engaged with people. Um, and I think that's really rare in 
the tech community, especially where there's a lot of bravado and bombast, uh, that was not Tom. And so I, I, I'm sad because I think that I see that piece of Seattle disappearing a little bit with, with people like Tom passing on and, and that's just a great part of our history and heritage. And so those are just a few of my thoughts that I think about when I, when I think about him. I have a few of my own memories to share, but before we do that, let's listen back to Tom Alberg in 2016. This was a podcast that you and I recorded with him, John, at the Madrona Venture Group offices in downtown Seattle. And after talking about self-driving cars and everything that was on his mind then in his late 70s, which is really remarkable, we can talk about that later too. Another amazing thing about him, yes. We asked about his investment in Amazon. So let's hear what he had to say. When did you make your first investment in Amazon? 95. Did you ever imagine that they would become the force that they are in? The, like when you look at that campus down there, <laughs> yeah. I, you, you, you must get this question all the time, but I got to ask it. Did you ever imagine they would become what they've become? I never imagined. I mean, Jeff was obviously a very smart person. He had a really well-defined plan. I was in love with the internet. I was willing to risk $50,000. But I don't think Jeff imagined either. We, his business plan was we were going to break even in year two. And, and lots of people declined to invest because Barnes & Noble would kill them when Barnes & Noble launched their store. So, I mean, when we go into an investment, I mean, I don't think we all say they're going to be an Amazon at all, but we expect them to be successful. But it's very difficult to – you can't. No venture capitalist can say – he can't improve your percentages from whatever they are to 70%. If you could, you'd be fabulously wealthy. So. What's fascinating to me is the ability for that company to stay entrepreneurial and innovative is crazy. How, how, Tom, you've been involved. How did they do that? Because it's really perplexing to me that a company that size is able to still stay innovative and entrepreneurial. It's a very big uh, part of Jeff's personality and a very big point that he tries to reinforce in the culture and it's really infused and the other the flip side of it is it's okay to fail on things and so you, you're you're going to fail just like venture capitalists make bad investments a company is going to have products that don't work out companies that get that right they do have lasting staying power and they invent new businesses within them so that was tom alberg speaking with us back in 2016 he was on the Amazon board for almost 23 years. John, it's hard to imagine a time when Jeff Bezos couldn't snap his fingers and have some investor jump in and give all of the money they possibly could. <laughs> you know, that was a very different era, right? It's very easy to look back in time and say, oh, of course, any fool would have known to have invested in this crazy guy with the wild laugh who wanted to change not only how books were sold, but also how commerce was conducted ultimately. And this was a blind bet that Tom Alberg made, much as all of the other investments are that venture capitalists make. It's a fascinating industry and an interesting time to look back on that particular investment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of luck in all of this at the end of the day. And, and especially in venture capital, you have a lot more misses than you do hits. In this case, a grand slam. Uh, a grand slam maybe many times over in the case of Amazon. And and I think the other thing that stands out there is 
at that stage, when you're investing that early, it really is you're investing on the person. And so you hear Tom talking about, you know, backing the entrepreneur and believing in the in the entrepreneur's passion, even more so than the product vision, because as you heard there, there was a lot of worry that the large incumbents, namely Barnes and Noble, were going to come in and and clean the clock of Amazon or any other competitor that would come into the into the business. But obviously, it did not end up that way. We are talking this week about Tom Alberg, one of the early investors in Amazon, who died recently at the age of eighty two. I've got a couple more anecdotes about Amazon and Tom that I want to share. We'll do that right after the break. You're listening to GeekWire. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We're looking back on the life of Tom Allberg this week on the GeekWire podcast. John, looking back, you mentioned the competitors and Barnes and Noble and how Tom basically had to look past the fact that many others were not able to get past, and that was that Barnes and Noble was going to come in and eat Amazon's lunch. It's really funny because there was a lawsuit very early on back in 1997 where Barnes and Noble sued Amazon to stop Amazon from claiming that it was, quote, Earth's biggest bookstore. And I love that anecdote because things have changed so much since then. If you talk to Andy Jassy or any of the other Amazon executives now, the last thing that they're claiming is that they're Earth's yeah, biggest yeah. anything. They're, the, they're just a small <laughs> little blip on the radar, right? They only, have a, they only have a small percentage of the overall retail business. <laughs> exactly. So things change. Obviously, your perspective depends on where you sit, and that's one of the most striking examples of it. But Tom Alberg really was there, not only as an early investor, but also as a board member over the years. And it's funny, a couple things. Just as a journalist, you learn so much about someone when you approach them after an event or after a meeting, just ask to talk to them, to see what was going on, to understand what was happening inside those doors or to get the reaction or to find out more about their news. And there were two times when this happened with me with Tom that I wanted to share. The first time was at Seattle Center, probably eight, nine, 10 years ago, really. And I was hoping to just get his thoughts on what happened at the Amazon meeting. It was a shareholder meeting. It was very controversial at the time. It was one of the first times that you really saw folks come out and protest Amazon. And I, I wanted to get his his take on that, especially as a longtime backer of the company. And of course, John, you know, board members would get in a lot of hot water for talking to the press oh, I, I'm, in their I'm roles. I'm surprised there wasn't a handler around you, like preventing you from getting within 50 yards. Well, it's funny you should say that because my second anecdote actually relates to that fact, John. But in this case, at the Amazon meeting, I think a lot of folks wouldn't have recognized Tom. Like a lot of the media wasn't going after him to get his quote or anything because they didn't know him like they would perhaps Bezos or other Amazon board members. And so I will say to his credit as a board member, not necessarily as a journalistic source, Tom was just extremely polite. He said, hi, Todd, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you. There are so many different ways that people can handle themselves in situations like that. And while I would have appreciated Tom taking me aside and giving me the full details on what was happening from the board's perspective, I, I admired his restraint and discretion as a board member. Second, this was at the Nordic Museum in Seattle. Of course, he has roots in Seattle's Ballard neighborhood. And he was speaking on a panel about financial technology. And 
this wasn't any kind of high stakes or anything like that. But afterward, I was going to be writing a story about this and I needed to clarify a couple things. And normally with people in his position, people of his stature running the largest venture capital firm in the city on the board of one of the most influential companies in the world, he would have a handler there. And I walked up and said, hi, Tom, how's it going? And said, hey, do you mind if I turn on my recorder and ask you a couple more questions? And he said, of course, no, absolutely not. Please go feel free. And uh, just it was just so refreshing to me in this world when we are dealing with layers and layers of communications professionals who massage the message of these folks. Um, it was just refreshing. And I, I'm going to miss that part of, of Tom being around as well. And then one last thing for me, I really enjoyed Tom's book published last year called Flywheels. It made the case for civic and tech leaders to come together and work in unity for the benefit of their communities. Using Seattle as an example, both positive and negative, it was really informative and enlightening to your point, John, not just from the tech perspective, but from the civic perspective, which is where Tom Alberg played a prominent role. But I got to say, the reason I really loved the book was the inside anecdotes and the things like learning that Craig McCaw, the founder of McCaw Cellular and one of the most reclusive billionaires in the world, used to run around and shoot his employees with squirt guns <laughs> inside McCaw Cellular. So I just appreciated the inside anecdotes and for all his restraint, the fact that Tom was willing to dish a little bit in terms of the odd habits of some of his former colleagues. Him writing that book in his late 70s, early 80s also speaks to kind of this passion for learning, passion for looking forward, you know, which is really kind of refreshing, especially as you see people get into their older years. A lot of people lose a lot of that, that hope about what the future is like, and he never did. And so, I mean, Looking back on GeekWire, you know, in the last two or three years, I mean, he was penning guest posts for us uh, about quantum computing of all things. I mean, that's complex stuff. I mean, you got to have some deep, pretty deep technical knowledge to at least even write a column about that, which is interesting. You know, his love for self-driving cars and where that was going. So kind of this forward-looking um, attitude, which is really refreshing and inspirational, especially uh, – as we start to get older to like, hey, never lose that spark that things might get better in society, an optimistic view of what innovation can do. And, you know, it's our role as journalists to to make sure we're skeptical and we're pointing out flaws in things, but also when things are benefiting from technology and innovation. And um, I just appreciate that kind of optimistic view of the world as much as we're struggling and as many problems as we're facing and as polarized as we are, there are aspects of the world that are getting better. And entrepreneurship and innovation is an important spark that leads us forward. And uh, I think he held on to that certainly into his last days. Greg Gottesman, who is now at Pioneer Square Labs, but worked with Tom Allberg for many years at Madrona, wrote a great post online and we'll link to it. He walked into Tom's office at one point early in his career and Tom Allberg was reading a book on quantum physics. Tom was a lawyer by training. He wasn't a scientist, although obviously he had direct connections and involvement with a lot of technical topics. And Greg Gottesman asked him like, what, what are you doing? 
<laughs> you know, and Tom just said, I, I want to understand this. Like how refreshing is that in any stage of life to just be thirsty for knowledge and also to be fortunate enough to be in a position to do something really interesting with that. And to your point, John, on the self-driving cars, you know, we had a long discussion at that time in 2016 about the differences between high-speed rail between Portland and Seattle and Vancouver, BC versus self-driving cars. And Tom was a big believer in self-driving cars. I think one of the sad things about him dying at really such a young age, 82, you know, is the fact that he's not going to get a chance to see those self-driving cars going up I-5 programmed to travel somewhat simultaneously with each other, which was the vision that he was presenting there with his colleagues. And so I, I think it makes me appreciate the moment in time that we're all living in when things are so dynamic, when there is a chance that within the next 10 years, we're going to see breakthrough innovations that completely change the way we live. And if you look at what Tom Alberg lived through from wireless communications to e-commerce, and then was looking ahead to all these other things. I mean, it's just a, what a cool time to be alive. And I'm almost astonished to hear myself say that. <laughs> I know it's been, <laughs> we're often trapped in such a, a negative spiral of news that uh, sometimes it is important to step back and think about everything that has happened in the last 20 years and to think about what the life was like then and where things might be going. Certainly there'll be a lot of challenges and roadblocks ahead, but I think there's a underlying belief that things are getting better. You know, it's that optimism that people like Tom or, you know, even like a Bill Gates have, you know, we're, uh, that belief is important. I think if you, if you take the opposite approach, it, it can be kind of a negative spiral. We should give a shout out here to our colleague, Lisa Stifler, who spent a ton of time last year and even before that, getting to know Tom, interviewing his colleagues and associates and writing an epic profile last year that really helped to inform our reporting on Tom's recent passing. I learned so much from Lisa's reporting that I did not previously know about Tom Alberg. He was just everywhere. And it's really remarkable to think about the fact that someone working quietly behind the scenes could have so much influence on so many things that we take for granted today. So I will link from the show notes to all of our coverage and also tributes to Tom Alberg by his colleagues at Madrona Venture Group and elsewhere across the tech community in Seattle and the world. All right, with that, we will wrap it up for the week. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll talk to you next time on the GeekWire podcast.